faithful tools for challenging times. And in particular, we've been looking at challenging experiences and emotions that we're going through during this pandemic. On our first week, we explored worry and anxiety and talked about uh, centering prayer and the ways in which we can ground ourselves in Christ's presence. Last week, um, what did we talk about last week? Pop quiz. <laughs> I wasn't here, I heard. <laughs> last week we talked about sorrow and grief and um, our ability to turn to God in lament, the tradition of lament, and to, to rely on God um, to be able to bear our dark emotions um, and still carry us through. This week, we're looking at the emotion of envy, the experience of envy, and the ways in which gratitude can change our perspective on our circumstances and allow us to work from a place of well-being. Interesting thing about envy, envy is one of the seven deadly sins. Do you, can you remember some of the others? We don't talk about the deadly sins very often, but what are some other of the seven deadly sins? Malice. Malice. Pride, greed, sloth, gluttony, and lust, and envy. And I read recently, um, writer Joseph Epstein says, envy is the only one of the seven deadly sins that isn't any fun. So we're going to explore how uh, this pandemic has heightened our sense of envy and the ways in which gratitude can be a response to our challenging time. So let us pray. Most holy God, you are the strength and joy of all who put their trust in you. By Christ's resurrection, you make a new creation. Through the Holy Spirit, you make us witnesses of your reconciling work. Open us to your word of resurrection and let it permeate all that we do and say this day and every day through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Open my eyes that I may see. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, Thanks be to God.
Summer of Envy. That's what Jana Pruden dubbed this past summer in her Globe and Mail article from July 31st, entitled Summer of Envy, How the COVID-19 Pandemic Has Put New Light on the Things We Have and Want. In her piece, Pruden suggests that envy is playing a heightened role in these strange pandemic times. She says that in informally talking to people researching for her article, things like homes, families, jobs, health, and access to nature emerged as sources of both great gratitude and niggling envy. The pandemic has put our lives and circumstances really into sharp focus, and that can mean feeling more acutely the things we do not have. This idea really resonated with me. At one point in the spring, when we had no summer plans, and it just looked like a lot of our summer traditions would not be happening this year, I felt particularly stir-crazy, and I remember thinking, every single person I know has a cottage except me. Or having Zoom chats with my brothers, who don't have children. And in lockdown, they were learning guitar and making multi-course meals. And I felt like I was in the trenches of parenting, living off a diet of hot dogs and tears. They're taking French lessons, and my big accomplishment, washing my hair. I felt envy. I felt envy. I can remember another time, my last example, I promise, with a neighbor, a lovely lady, we're friends, she's in her 60s, lives nearby. And this was um, at the time before parks were open. I just felt like there was nowhere to go and nothing to do with my kids. And it was a, a blur of diapers and snacks and nagging. And our neighbor, who lives alone, was describing feeling lonely. And she said, well, at least you have your kids to keep you company and keep you busy. And of course she's right. She's absolutely tr right. But all I remember thinking was what I wouldn't give to live alone in your house, eating and napping in quiet. Uh, the summer of envy. It's not pretty, but it's real. And I know I'm not alone. I know many of us, for example, felt envious when other parts of the country were in more advanced stages of reopening. I think at the heart of these feelings of envy is just a sense that we're not able to live our lives fully right now. There's a sense that things just aren't quite what they used to be. They're not quite right. Pruden, in her article, makes the point that envy isn't always a bad thing. She quotes a philosophy professor who says that certain forms of envy can be positive and productive. When we see something another person has and, and we want it, that can help us set priorities and work toward goals. Sometimes it can even highlight broader inequities in society. Why does that group have better access to healthcare and we don't? Why do they have supports and financial assistance and, and we don't? Questions like these are at the heart of a social reckoning that's happening right now, and we're gonna explore that in greater depth next week. So, while it might at times lead to positive outcomes, generally speaking, I think we can all agree that on a personal day-to-day -day level, envy is not a good feeling. It doesn't result in feelings of well-being, meaning, peace. Because envy really has us focused on what we don't have, on what is going wrong. In that way, envy is kind of like the opposite of gratitude. 
The practice of gratitude has us regularly asking ourselves, what is going right? What do I have to be thankful for? That habit of giving thanks, we know, has very real benefits, where envy can leave us feeling resentful, angry, frustrated. Gratitude can contribute to feelings of contentment and well-being. Psychology research has shown that the practice of giving thanks has great social, psychological, and physical health benefits. They've even identified concrete thanksgiving practices that can help us access all those benefits. A popular one is a gratitude journal. A gratitude journal is just the simple practice of writing down a few things for which we are grateful. And that alone can improve things like sleep. It can lessen the symptoms of illness and increase our feelings of happiness. Robert Emmons is a leading expert in the science of gratitude. I really like that, an expert in gratitude. And he has some research-based tips for how to reap the most psychological benefits from a gratitude journal. And this is from uh, an article in Greater Good Magazine, which is a Berkeley publication. You can access it online. Um, so his tips include, don't just go through the motion. Intention is key here. Approach your gratitude journal with an open mind and a desire to feel happier. Second tip, details. Go for depth over breadth. It's better to write a few things more in detail than to list a whole bunch of things that you're thankful for. Third tip, people. Try to focus on people more than things. The fourth tip is try sub subtraction, not just addition. So one effective way of stimulating gratitude is to reflect on what your life would be like without certain blessings rather than just tallying up all, all the good things. So imagine what it would be like if you didn't have that person or, or that thing in your life. The next tip, savor surprises. Try to record events that were unexpected or surprising because apparently these tend to elicit stronger levels of gratitude. And our final tip, write occasionally. Once or twice a week is all you need. So it's nothing fancy. Write in detail a few things you are grateful for once or twice a week, and it can boost your feelings of wellness during this stressful time. Last week, we talked about lament, about giving voice to our feelings of grief and sorrow, abandonment. And what's interesting is that we can actually see in the Psalms of lament, the way in which gratitude can play a role in moving us from despair to confidence, hope, and even praise. Take, for example, Psalm 77. The psalmist begins, I cry aloud to God. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. I meditate and search my spirit. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased forever? So here we're, we're witnessing a real expression of deep doubt and despair. But the psalm takes a turn as the psalmist begins to intentionally call to mind examples of God's goodness. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your might among the people. The psalmist moves into praise as he reflects on God's power and might displayed in creation. And he goes on at length describing the wonder of creation. 
And then he moves on to reflecting on God's shepherding care of the Israelites as Moses led them to safety from Egypt. So remembering these past miracles and past blessings in gratitude leads the psalmist to a place of trust and praise in God in the present moment. So we see it in our scriptures. Psychologists show it in their research. Gratitude can improve our well-being, our outlook. It is a tool for challenging times. And what's different for us as people of faith when we think about a gratitude journal is that our gratitude has a focal point. We direct our gratitude toward God, that holy, mysterious, awesome source of all blessing. That's a really important takeaway from our gospel story today. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus is approached by 10 lepers. Now, leprosy was kind of a general term used for any outbreak of the skin that looked suspicious or contagious. And scholars tell us it's really hard to overstate the isolation and alienation these men would have experienced. People lived in dread of leprosy. There was even a fear that if you crossed the shadow of a leper, you might contract the disease. So sufferers were entirely cut off from their homes, their family, their community. There was a great deal of stigma. Fear, stigma, even social distancing sounds familiar, doesn't it? Scripture tells the lepers, sorry, scripture says that the lepers approached Jesus and called out to him while keeping their distance. Jesus, master, have mercy on us, they say. And he does. He tells them to go present themselves to the priests where they would be deemed ritually clean. And as they go, they're healed. To a certain extent, all 10 lepers place their hope and trust in Jesus, right? They all call upon him for help. They all refer to him as master. They all trust his word and follow his direction to go to the priests, even when that probably didn't make a lot of sense to them. But only one of them, a Samaritan, when healed, makes his way back to Jesus to express his gratitude. What happened to all of the others? Jesus asked the question, and you know what? I think we probably know the answer. They got busy. They moved on. They went home to family. Maybe they didn't realize it was Jesus, after all, who had healed them. For whatever reason, only one takes the time to stop, turn around, and recognize the source of his blessing. And he really doesn't do it half-heartedly. He, scripture says, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. It almost sounds like, you know, he was partway to the priest, he's healed, and then all the way he walks back to Jesus. He is praising God loudly. When he gets to Jesus, he prostrated himself at his feet and thanked him. This man is not simply going through the motions. He is expressing the depth of his gratitude. He recognizes the source of his blessing, and he takes the time to truly give thanks. And Jesus' parting words to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The man was already healed, but now he is well. God's graciousness and mercy heals the lepers. Through gratitude and faith, the Samaritan leper is made well. It's about appreciating our blessings and their source. It's about giving thanks for all the small things, and for the biggest things, 
the gift of Christ himself. That's a gift for which we can all be eternally grateful. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I hope you'll check out the others in the series and join us next week for our final installment in this series, looking at faithful action in challenging times. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.